I just returned a few weeks ago from Apex Progressive Rabbi's trip to Israel. The trip, it was comprised of 20 progressive rabbis from all stripes, reform, conservative, and orthodox from all over the United States. And it was one of those trips where it felt like we were drinking out of a fire hose. There was one day we began at 5 a.m. at the border crossing from the West Bank into Israel, observing it. And then we went to Ramallah to meet with Saib Arakat, the chief Palestinian negotiator. And we finished our night off at 10 p.m meeting with the chief political director of the Jerusalem Post. And that leaves out five other things we did that day. So you can imagine, there is no way to stand here tonight and to process everything in one drosh, what I experienced. So tonight, I thought I would just share three stories. Three stories that illustrate the complexities of Israel and what that can teach us about the complexities here in America. Now the first story, it takes place in the Knesset, the parliament building in Israel. We've been meeting with Marav Michali, who's a left-wing member of the Knesset, and she's part of the Zionist Union, and she's partnered to whom many consider the John Stewart of Israel. Now there was this incredible rapport between her and these 20 progressive rabbis, but each of us sat there knowing in the room who the next Knesset member was coming in to meet with us. We were having the polar opposite come into the room. The next person was Yehuda Glick, a right-wing Likud member who is not only an Orthodox settler, but also the leader of the Orthodox movement to bring back Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount. Now, he is such a controversial figure that he was shot four times at a point-blank range by a terrorist over his activities on the Temple Mount. And as we were sitting there talking to Marav Michali, the door opened behind her. And there was a red-headed Orthodox Jew, and it was him. Now the two opposing sides were sitting there. And then something happened that none of us expected and we were totally dumbstruck. They started bantering with each other. And they were smiling, and they were laughing, and this went on for a few minutes. And then finally, Marav Michali turns away from him, and she looks at us, and she goes, look, I gotta tell you, some of his views, they're a little bit crazy. Some are more than a little crazy. But what I need you all to know is that he is a real mensch. Now, this was the last thing that we ever expected to hear. We expected tension and silence in the room, but instead there was this connection and this respect between them. All of us here, we come from a country where it's inconceivable that members of Congress, who are on the Republican side and the Democratic side, nevertheless, like the Tea Party side and the far left-wing side, would sit together in a room and compliment each other on their morals and their ethics and who this person was as a person. It's unheard of. Marav Michali and Yehuda Glick, their views on politics, they could not have been more different on paper. But since these two actually engaged with each other, a real relationship was formed. 
Because even though they didn't agree on policy, they deeply respected each other. Story number two. I traveled to the north of Israel, just six miles south of the Lebanon border to the largest hospital in the north, the Galil, the Galilee Medical Center. Now this has become the trauma center for all of the citizens in the north when war breaks out. The entire hospital has a bomb-proof section underneath it so that when Hezbollah begins to fire its rockets into Israel, they can take all of the patients inside the hospital, put them downstairs, and still operate and practice completely safely. It was there we met with Dr. Masad Barhum, who's an Arab-Israeli Christian, who's the director general of the hospital. In 2012, a colonel in the IDF, he received a report from an army patrol of an injured man who was spotted right on the Israel-Syrian border. And the colonel, he contacted the Red Cross inside Syria, who at the time was still active there. And he then asked them to pick up this wounded person and to bring them into Israel. This right here is what began the stream of thousands of injured coming from Syria into Israel to be treated at this hospital, filled with Jewish and Arab doctors and nurses. They're not just treating children who've been injured, but they're also treating soldiers who've been involved in the fighting. And their policy, this is the IDF policy as well as the hospital's policy, is that they do not ask questions of these soldiers of who they've been fighting for. This person who's coming to the hospital is a human. And these Israeli Arab and Israeli Jewish doctor's jobs are there to save lives. And that's what they're going to do. After surgery and after they recuperate, these soldiers are then brought back and returned to Syria. No questions asked. It even came to light a few weeks after one of these people returned, after they got their jaw fixed in Israel with a 3D printer, that he had been a member of Al-Qaeda. But that did not stop the Israelis because these were humans. Now as I walked down to the very bottom of this bomb-proof hospital, past room after room of these Syrian soldiers, soldiers that may have actually been the ones that launched the rockets that enabled for this hospital to be built underground, I came to the very end of these rooms where I met with this very tired and this weary soldier, but he had this sparkle in his eye. And he looked at me, and standing next to me was an IDF soldier and a Jewish doctor and an Arab doctor, and he said, thank you. Thank you, Israel, for healing me. And on the very front door of that hospital, the very same front door that every single one of these soldiers goes through, it says in Hebrew, Adam la Adam Adam. A person to a person becomes a person. Every soldier that may be a part of Assad's army or ISIS or Al-Qaeda then touches flesh with Jewish and Arab Israelis. And when you touch flesh and you look into someone's eyes, something changes. Story number three. Now after taking a standard tour bus throughout Israel and Jerusalem, we boarded a new bus, one that was specially made for visiting the settlements. 
At this bus, it had thick plexiglass windows that could withstand rocks being thrown at it. And as we begrudgingly boarded the bus to head to Ephrat, a settlement of 10,000 people, we left Jerusalem. And as we left Jerusalem, we drove along the wall, which separates the West Bank from Israel, and it was built after the Second Intifada to stop the terrorists from coming into Israel. And mile after mile, we followed this wall until suddenly it just stopped, and there was no wall left. And then suddenly we saw houses, we made a left turn, we went through a roundabout, the bus stopped, and they told us to get out. And we were incredibly confused because there was no fences, there was no guard gate we went to, and you could see the Arab village right here, and the only thing separating it was a road, and the architecture was a little bit different. Now all of these rabbis, we got off the bus to meet with the mayor of Efrat with a tremendous amount of hesitation. Now some of the rabbis I was with, they said they refused to eat the grapes that were laid out on the table because they didn't want to support such a, a divisive figure we were about to meet with. But as with everything else in Israel, you don't always get what you expect. After an hour-long talk with Oded Ravivi, we found out that this right-wing settler not only interacted with his Palestinian neighbors, but had actually developed a real relationship with them. Palestinians had recently posted on their social media in Arabic, and that's important that it's in Arabic, that he was actually a friend. He said publicly on national television in Israel that he was ready to give up not only his house in Efrat, but the entire settlement if real peace could be made and his kids wouldn't have to serve in the army. He'd been in discussions with the Palestinians for them to come into the settlement and begin teaching Arabic, not just to his kids, but to all of the kids with inside the settlement. Israel is an incredibly complicated and nuanced place. A place that is so small and intense, people are actually forced to be in contact with each other. And not just by seeing your neighbor pull up their car next door and you know that they drive a Prius, but actually a contact where flesh touches flesh. And when that happens, something changes in people. Now their views don't always change, but relationships and at times, peace is formed when people interact. And we know this. When we look at the Torah and we read about Jacob, who runs away from his brother Esau because they have conflict. He avoids him and he keeps distance and he's scared to death. But it's not until Jacob is in the dark, pressing flesh against flesh with something divine. Now some say he's wrestling with his self. There's others who say it's an angel, but there's others who say what he's wrestling with in the dark is Esau. It's actually his brother. And it's in that darkness, in that deep and difficult wrestling that changes Jacob to Israel. The one who's willing to engage and wrestle. And then he comes out into the light, into the morning, with a limp, but at peace and transformed. The challenge with America is that we're a country that no longer interacts and wrestles. Instead, we all just sit in our own bubbles, reinforcing our views, 
Our Facebook feeds and our outside news feeds, they're now tailored to reinforce our point of view. And when we actually do interact with the other person on the other side, we don't wrestle. We often yell over each other so that neither one of us can actually hear us. All we can hear is ourselves yelling. Statisticians have recently pointed out this week that these post-Republican and Democratic convention bounces are actually smaller than they used to be because so many people now have their mind made up on where they stand and they're no longer going to listen to the other side to be swayed in a different direction. This trip that I went on, it's the exact same trip that most members of Congress go on. And I was told by the person who organizes all these trips and is on every congressional trip that until about 10 years ago, all of these congressional trips to Israel were bipartisan and mixed. But in the last 10 years, the party leadership will not let the Republicans and the Democrats go together. They now take separate trips. If you can imagine the relationships that used to be made when these new members of Congress from both sides of the aisles would sit side by side in a little cramped Israeli tour bus for a week, what type of relationships used to get made? And now there's none. Israel is incredibly complicated and confusing place. And that is the beauty of it. This year, that land and those people, those people of Israel, the ones who wrestle with the divine, are showing us that wrestling and engaging, as frightening as it may seem, that is the path to relationships. And relationships is the fertile ground that peace can grow. May we as a country look east to our neighbors, to our brothers and our sisters who are Arab and Jewish and learn from them that the only way we're going to make peace is if we begin to engage. Kenya Hiratsong.